Let's get rolling. So let's jump right into 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I know we're running a little bit behind today, so I'm going to try to get through this as quickly as possible without too quickness. I talk fast, so I'm going to try. Here he goes. Now I, Paul, myself am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who am in presence and lowly among you, but being absent and bold towards you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some, who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God. For pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. You see, we've been talking about this idea of spiritual warfare and going through the concepts of understanding who our enemy is. That's really been our focus. And in doing so, we need to know what to do with that information. And we looked at three things last week specifically, three terms. These are theological terms that many of you are familiar with, but I want to just go over them again. First one being justification. It's the action of showing something to be right or reasonable or they're made right. This is the salvation moment, the born again. Now you're justified. If you've truly given your heart to Christ, and when I say truly, I mean it's not just you said some prayer or not just because you got baptized. You've given your heart to the Lord. I had somebody call me the other day, and their, their, uh, a loved one had passed away, and, and they had been baptized there very late. She said, you know, that brought them such comfort. And what am I supposed to say to that? Are we saved through baptism? No, we are not. I mean, it's important, but we can't get them out of order, and we do. In fact, I had somebody else come up to me. He's like, you know, it's a good thing they got baptized. I mean, we're talking a week before they passed. That's false confidence. We're going to talk about that more. So we are as made right as we're ever going to be with the things of God. We are just if I, it's just if I never sin. It's what Janice says all the time uh, in Bible study. And it's a great way to think of it. I mean, imagine Adam and Eve. You are spiritually pure. You can't become unpure. We're just like in the original creation spiritually. Physically, we're not there yet. We're coming. The next thing that happens is sanctification. It's to set that thing or person apart for the use intended by its designer. Or holiness. You see, guys, we were designed for something, and so God takes us through this process of sanctification where our bodies begin to match more so what has happened spiritually. You see, if you want to think of it this way, we are all tools for the kingdom. If you've ever had a toolbox full of tools, there are tools that do things well, and there are tools that were not designed to do the things that we do. Have you ever needed a hammer and not had one? Right? What do you do? You find something else to smash with. I did it the other day. You guys know what a pry bar is. I used it to drive in some nails. It took a lot longer, and none of them were straight. We did eventually get them in because I, didn't, I forgot to bring a hammer with me. And uh, when I owned a landscape business, when we sold everything off, we discovered we owned about 47 hammers because when the guys needed one and they forgot one, they just go buy a new one. So, so, but, but again, that's us. We have a place in the body of Christ. We are a tool. And so we have an intended purpose. So the sanctification is going through becoming more like Christ. Peter says it like this. Be holy because he is holy. That's what we're doing. Sanctification. We're looking and acting more like God. You'll notice people that once they're justified, that they become, begin to be, get convicted of certain types of sin. Things that the Lord starts dealing them with them on. You know, I've taken the approach for years. Some pastors do it differently. This is how I do it. I don't try to be the Holy Spirit. If somebody asks my opinion on something, I will give it. Other than that, I just allow the Holy Spirit to convict them. 
and many times if they're listening, I don't have to worry about it. Sometimes we ignore it. The last part is glorification. Glorification is the finality of the removal of sin from the life of the saints into the eternal state that God originally intended for us. And this is when we will be just like Adam and Eve, the glorified body. This is when it all becomes final, the finality, the end, what you read in the book of Revelation and, and other places about how we are now in our glorified bodies in the presence of God. This is where we're going to be. So we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. This body, thank God, is not what we will spend the rest of our eternity in. I don't know about you, but mine tends to give me fits once in a while, and I have to remind it who's the boss. So those are the three terms. Understanding that's important and it's crucial. But from that, how does this equate to anything spiritual as far as spiritual warfare? Well, we need to know who we are. That's the big problem in the body of Christ today. We have no idea who we are. We just go around like, well, I'm a Christian. Well, we can't even define that term. What does that mean? Sometimes they say, oh, I was baptized. Oh, I'm a good person. I went to church when I was a kid. Um, not all the time. And, and honestly, it is the exception when you hear somebody say, because I'm a born-again child of the king or some term like that. So when we start to look at this, who we are, we need to understand how the enemy works. And so here comes the interactive portion of the program today, folks, is I want to hear from you, in your opinion, or what you know from Scripture, some of the ways in which the enemy comes against us. Okay? Can you think of one? Just shout it out. Other people. Okay? Dreams? What else? Thoughts. That's why we just read that. Take every thought captivity. Sickness. I'm just going to put sickness because that's less to write. But yes, yeah, sickness and disease. What was it? Actions. Okay, yeah. What else? Media. Could be, yeah. Are we talking about fake news? What else? This deception. Okay? Can you think of any others? Okay. Well, that's the opposite of that. I mean, there's several. What, is, what, is, what does the Bible say is to us? I mean, there's several in there. What does he do? He deceives, right? You see that at the beginning. Okay. Steal, kill, and destroy. If he can. And we're getting to that point. And that's just a short list, guys. But here's the thing. When it comes to all of these different things, the dreams, the thoughts, and stuff like that, there's really one avenue in which he uses more than others. Yes and no. I'm talking bigger picture, not just us individually, but bigger picture. Think about it this way. We are the body of Christ, yes? How does God work through the earth today? Through the body, right? We are his hands and feet. How does the enemy work through the earth today? Through his body, right? Janet nailed it. The biggest way, in my opinion, and this is simply my opinion, but the way that the enemy works is through people. He'll work through people who do not belong to the Lord. You know who else he works through? People who do. Okay? How does he do that? Thoughts, sometimes dreams, sometimes action, deception, 
fake news? No, I'm just kidding. I just had to throw that in there. You see, he works that way a lot of times because it's through people that God works. And what does he do? He copycats everything. We have real signs and wonders. We have false signs and wonders. There's real tongues. There's fake tongues. It's all a counterfeit. You see the Antichrist? We have the real Christ, the pseudo-Christ, the opposite of. You see, there's a lot of things that he counterfeits. People is, is the number one way that he works through uh, in order to accomplish his mission. And part of that is, is because he has no authority on this earth. He needs people. Why does Jesus use us? Wouldn't it be easier if he just snapped his fingers and did it? Because all authority has been given to him and it's been passed through us as the body. He needs us. And I know theologically that's kind of a tough pill to swallow to realize that he needs us to accomplish his will. Did he need 12 disciples? He chose 12 disciples. I mean, he could have at any time because he is God, could have just snapped his fingers and this is all over. But the way he set it up and because he's true to himself and his word that he follows the rules in which that have been laid out by God. Okay, So this is what we're dealing with. We're dealing with people here. Now, these three here are quite interesting, and we're actually going to talk about those because I want to show you that. Uh, but before we do that, I want to jump into John chapter 8. We're going to focus on three chapters today. John chapter 8, John chapter 9, and John chapter 10. You see, what happens a lot of times, guys, um, this week, I don't know about y'all, has been absolutely chaotic for me. I have felt more spiritual pressure than I have in a long time. I was coming back uh, from Colorado when you have 10 hours in the car, you have a lot of time by yourself. And so when I have an opportunity like that, I spend a little bit more time in prayer. Um, I'll be, I listen to podcasts a lot and stuff, and I'll get things from the Lord on that, and the Lord speaks to me. And the problem that we have, and this is where we're going today, and, and this was somewhat planned but took a little bit of a detour, is that we are in the people business, and we have to recognize where people stand. We have to recognize the work of the enemy through people. Because we do not war in the flesh. But it's hard not to. So let's jump into this. John chapter 8, verse 12. It says, then Jesus spoke to them. Now who is them? Well, it doesn't tell us yet because we didn't read the passage before that. You're going to see that. Saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said to him, you bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Now, who are the Pharisees? Right? Keep that in mind. The Pharisees were the religious and political leaders of the day. Those who say that Christians should not be in politics need to look at who the Pharisees were because Jesus was constantly getting on them. Their system was different than ours, but the principle is still true. The Pharisees were the leaders. They're the ones that all through Jesus' life is giving him a hard time. It later becomes the Sadducees with the apostles. They take over politically. Verse 14, Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. And you do not know where I came from and where, am I, where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. And yet, if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. It is also written in your law, notice how he says that, your law, that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. Now, hold on. Why did they, they say him, and why does Jesus keep saying this, that you judge according to the flesh, and you're talking about your bare witness of yourself? Why is that a, a problem? 
you've got to understand where the Pharisees are come from, the Levitical law. It took two witnesses to make anything happen. If you had killed somebody and one person saw it happen, but not a second, they could do nothing. It takes on the Feast of Trumpets two people to see the new moon, to go to the leaders, the Pharisees, and they will blow the trumpets and announce the commencement. It takes two witnesses. The Bible says out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. In Matthew 18, where Jesus said, where two or more are gathered, there I am in the midst of you, is talking about church discipline. But why two? It requires two witnesses. That's the context of this verse. Not because we gather together and we pray that we know Jesus is here. You know what that means if that's true? That if one of us is here, then Jesus ain't. That's a problem. That goes against Scripture. We've got to use things in context. So this is why he's saying, he said, listen, I bear witness of myself and the Father bears witness of me. He's using their law against them. You see how he's doing this? All right. Verse 19. Then they said to him, so where is your Father? And they're not picking up on what he's talking about. Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have also known my father also. Now stop. These are Israelites, right? In covenant with God. These are the obeyers of the law. These are the ones that are keeping everything. And yet, what did Jesus just tell them? You Pharisees, people, you do not know my father. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury, so he's at the temple. As he taught in the temple, and no one laid hands on him, for his hour had not yet come. They're trying to kill him. They want him gone. Then Jesus said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and will die in your sins. Where I go, you cannot come. Why can't they? Because they won't. They're not bowing their knee to him there. He's given them all the stuff, the stuff they should know. They're teachers of the law. Remember Nicodemus in John chapter 3? Where he's saying, like, what must we do? I know you're from God because no one can do the works that you're doing. He said, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? These are the same people. Nicodemus went by night but at least had the guts to go. So the Jews, the Jews said, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, who is he? The Messiah. This is who they're waiting for. You will die in your sins. The religious leaders of this day, he is telling this to. Then they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say to, to, and to judge concerning you. But he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. Now, what's the world? Not followers of him. The Bible makes a clear distinction. We are not of this world. We are in it. We are not of it. Therefore, we are what? Pilgrims. This is not our home. Verse 27. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father, Father God. Then Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. Now, wait a minute. Where did they ever say anything about lifting Him up? Nowhere prior to this. They've never said it. Jesus, of course, knew it. And He's telling them, when you lift me up, you'll know. And that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And He who sent me is, that, is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please Him. As He spoke these words... Many believed in him. So the Pharisees are there, but there's also a crowd. 
a crowd followed him wherever he went. So what happens when you believe in him? You believe he's the Messiah. You are now born again. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, okay, so now he's speaking to those that are now following him. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Right? Those are words to live by. So if you believe in him, you'll abide by his words. What do we call that? Sanctification. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Free from what? Right. What is the truth? We are the son and daughter of God. We are now justified. That's the truth. And that, when you get that, like when it finally clicks for you, it sets you free. Because you're not moved by the things of this world. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Now, why are they talking this way? They're not thinking spiritually. They are thinking of Moses and the Israelites and being in captivity, the Babylonian captivity. There's been many captivities that they have been in bondage to someone. They're saying, no, wait a minute. We're not in bondage. How are we going to be made free? Now, watch what Jesus said, 34. Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Any sinners in here? Anybody? Okay. That's good. The rest of you are lying, which now puts you in the club. There we go. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. So there was the distinction. Distinction. Slave of sin or a son. Ladies, you can be a son too. Congratulations. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. What's the key word in that sentence? If. How do you know? Because you believe in him. Verse 37, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do not have, you have, do what you, excuse me, you do what you have seen with your father. Okay? Now, who's his father? They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Well, what, did, what were the works of Abraham? Abraham obeyed, and it was accounted to him righteousness. In other words, he believed. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. So Jesus is doing the deeds of his father. These Pharisees are doing the deeds of their father. Then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father. God, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore you do not hear because you are not of God. Who are they of? Their father, the devil. Now, what is going on here? The sons of the enemy are doing his work in the earth. 
How does he work? How did he deceive them? I don't know. Religious things, I mean, deception, whatever you want to call it. But he was a murderer from the beginning, right? When was the beginning? Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Genesis 3. How did he murder? Through deception. And spiritually they died. And because of that, we all died. He was a liar from the beginning. That was the first thing that he did. And what led to all of that? His pride. His pride. You guys see how this works? We have a distinction between the sons of God and the sons of the enemy. Was there a third category? No. There's two. You're a son of God or you're of your father the devil. But what if I'm a good person and I don't do evil things? Guess what? You're of your father the devil. This is the distinction, guys. Deception runs rampant. This is why some that would feel like, well, at least they were baptized. That's deception, folks. It's not because I say so. It's because the Bible says so. It's hard, guys. We want to just make ourselves feel better, but we've got to get past that. We've got to grow up and do the works of the Father. Because that's what Jesus just told us. They didn't understand Him because they weren't of His Father. Now let's look at verse 44. Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Now what's a Samaritan? It's the half-Jew, right? They were not looked favorably upon. In fact, they, regular Jews, if you want, would not even go up to Samaria at all. And Janet was talking about that this morning. They wouldn't, wouldn't have nothing to do with those people because as sad as it is, they were intermixed with the pagan tribes, and so therefore they weren't considered full Jews, and Jews wouldn't have anything to do with them. That's why Jesus being up there was such a big deal. So, they just accused their Messiah of being demon-possessed. Not a good way to start the day. Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. I don't seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Then the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead, and the prophets. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead? And the prophets are dead. Who do you make yourself out to be? I think he's been pretty clear up to this point, but apparently it's not sinking in. Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. So now he's saying, you claim him. We're talking about the same person. You claim him, yet you have not known him. So he's trying to lay it out for him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? So what did this just tell us? Well, we know that Jesus was under 50, okay? And Abraham had been around many years before that. I love this next part. Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. That's the same terminology that God used with Moses. I am that I am. He is now claiming to be God in this statement. And look at their reaction. Then they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed 
by. Why did they pick up stones? Because he just claimed to be God. And that was a, an offense punishable by death. The only way you wouldn't be punished for making that claim is if it were true. It's the only way. So you see people of their father, the devil, trying to kill the very Messiah that was sent to save them. Just like in the Old Testament, right? They'd kill the prophets. They'd come with a word from the Lord. They didn't like it. They'd kill them. It's similar today. Now, we may not get killed in this country for our faith because we've got it pretty good here in a cushy lifestyle. I almost wish we didn't. It honestly would make us a little more serious about it. But we've got it so cushy that when we stand for our faith, people may not like us. And you know what we do a lot of times? We compromise. Now, let's look at John 10.10. This is a familiar passage. The thief does not come except to do three things. To steal, to kill, and to destroy. Here's Jesus talking. I have come that they may have a life and that they may have it more abundantly. We've all heard that. We've quoted it a million times. Here's my question. Who is the thief? If you answer the devil, you would answer incorrectly. Now, who is Jesus dealing with in chapter 8? The Pharisees, right? The Pharisees. Now, let's go pick this up and get this entire thing in its context, starting in chapter 9, verse 1, because I want you to see this. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, one of the beliefs of the Jews was that a person born in some blind, lame, whatever, there was sin and that this was punishment by God. One of the beliefs of the Messiah is that he would be able to heal somebody born blind. There were four miracles that only the Messiah could perform. That was one of them. Verse 3, Jesus answered, Neither this man or his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must, work the, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, you look at the distinction there. Night's coming, but I'm the light. As long as I'm here, the light's shining. We got work to do. That's basically what he's saying. When he said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Okay, so this is already weird. Okay, so if you're ever in a prayer line and the dude hacks a loogie on you, you better get healed. He said to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sin. So he went, he washed, and he came back seeing. He's healed, right? Jesus gets away with spitting on the guy. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, is this not the one who sat and begged? Why did he beg? You're blind. You cannot work. They did not have a welfare system back then. Some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. In other words, he kind of looks like him, but I'm not sure. He said, nope, it's me. Therefore, they said to him, how were your eyes open? And he said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received the sight. Now, stop here for a second. Here's what went on. Jesus left the temple. This is immediately following that moment. He left the temple. He walked outside, sees the guy. Was the guy looking for uh, healing? Not necessarily. I mean, he'd take it, but he wasn't necessarily looking for it. Jesus came out, saw it, he had compassion on him, and he did that. So, then he said to them, well, where is he? They said, I don't know. So they brought him, who formerly was blind, to the Pharisees. Why did they do that? Because this is one of the messianic miracles. 
This is one of the four. So they would have to take the uh, proof of that to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees would then declare if a person was the Messiah and if this thing was true. Okay? Let's go on. Now, it, it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. That's Friday night to Saturday night. And the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. And he said, he put clay in my eyes, and I wash, and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Remember, that was one of the laws. The Sabbath keeping was the sign of the Mosaic Covenant. That was how you knew they were his people. He said, this is a sign between me and you. And so they're saying, well, he didn't keep the Sabbath. So this isn't from God. So what we have is a verifiable miracle in their presence, and they're finding a way to deny the validity of it that this man is from God. Does that sound like our life today in this world? I mean, you hear about miracles happening all over the world, and even us sometimes we're like, well, maybe. Anyway. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. In other words, they're arguing this out. How can he do this? They said to the blind man, what do you say about him? Because he's opened your eyes. He said, well, he's a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight. So in other words, they thought he was lying. Until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked him, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age. Ask him. He'll speak for himself. Now why did they do that? Verse 22 tells us. His parents said these things. Because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, remember Messiah, he would be put out of the synagogue. So they're like, they're not getting any part of this. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, you ask him. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, whatever he is, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know, I was blind, now I see. So all this guy's claiming. Then they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he said, I told you already, and you don't listen. He's having the same problem Jesus was. How many times I got to say this? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Now that's kind of a slap in the face there for them. But that's probably how most of us in this room would have answered. Then they reviled him. And said, you are his disciples, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we don't know where he is from, which is not true. The man answered and said to them, why? This is a marvelous thing, that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. So if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, you were completely born in sins, and you are teaching us, and they cast him out. Why did they say he was born in sin? Because he was born blind. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. So when he had found him, he said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Now, you've got two different things going on. Here you've got a man supernaturally healed, 
by the power of God. And he believes. But the witnesses, they don't. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. And he is speaking spiritually here. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him, now why are they with him? Because they have to follow him around. People keep claiming this stuff. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said, Are we blind also? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore your sin remains. Most assuredly, I say to you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the thief, same as a thief and a robber. We have the first example of that word thief. Okay, we're in chapter 10 now. So we're talking about how the sheep get in. If you don't come in through the gate, then you're a thief. He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So there's one way in, right? To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. So in other words... The sheep go nowhere except by the leading of the shepherd. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him. For they did not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which they spoke of, that he spoke to them. Why is that? Because they're not of him. They're not of the Father. Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. So that's the one way in. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers. Who came before him? He's dealing with the Pharisees here. But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go out and find pasture. But this thief, he does not come except for three reasons. To steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life. And that they may have it more abundantly. Who is the thief he's talking about? The Pharisees. It's the Pharisees. Look at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. Why is he making this distinction? Because these guys have no, he just said, we don't know where he is from. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And the other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. What fold? The nation of Israel. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Jew and Gentile together. Who's the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy? We saw that Satan was a murderer and a liar from the beginning. Okay? We got the killing, the stealing. What are the Pharisees stealing away? Salvation through their false teaching. And it destroys them. You see, the thief is being used here in context talking about the Pharisee. But who are the Pharisees of? Their father, the devil. You see, the thief was the Pharisees, the people. But they are being empowered 
by their father. We are people of the light. We're empowered by the Father through Him. We have to understand, guys, that people are being used on a daily basis to thwart the plan of God. Look at Herod. Heard about a little baby that was the king of the Jews that was born, so he killed every male child under two years of age. The devil used people. Did the devil show up and crucify Jesus? Nope. He used the Romans, and he used the Pharisees to make it happen. He used people. Who does God use to get his plan and purpose on this earth? He uses people. The sad thing is, is we'll have times where the people of God are being influenced by the devil, by the words that they say, by the things that they do, and the actions they take. You guys, you know how easy it is to be offended? You know how easy it is? It takes nothing. One wrong statement, you'll be offended, you'll shut down. Why do we allow that to happen? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But yet we do that. The, guys, I'm telling you, the reason I'm talking about this, and, and it, it's no doubt, I mean, I'm driving home Sunday, this is what the Lord's putting on my heart, talking about, and then this week, utter chaos. Utter chaos. I could not believe some of the stuff that I was dealing with this week, and it just came back to one thing. It was people. Guys, there are people in this world that are so deceived that they'll spend every Sunday in church. They'll give to the church. They've got baptized when they were an infant. All of these different things. And they are going to be deceived straight into hell. And that's sad. When Jesus said, I'm the way. Guys, this is how you do it. You have to be born again, Nicodemus. There are a lot of ways that the enemy works, but the number one way is through people. This is how he gets his plan done. This is the end time. What's he going to use? He's going to use the Antichrist, the false prophet, the church, I mean, guys, we've got, this is why we've got to be people of the Word. This is why we've got to know what God says. This is why we've got to be sensitive to the moving of the Holy Spirit. And there are times where the Holy Spirit tells you to shut up. Keep your mouth shut. Say nothing. You see, we've got to recognize what's happening. Because when we deal with people, our natural inclination is to begin to wrestle in the flesh. Somebody's going to say something. Somebody's going to do something. Or maybe they don't do what you think they should do. And therefore, you're going to, in one way or another, become offended. Don't give the enemy a foothold. You see, we've got to recognize who we are. He just said that we are sons of the Father. With that comes responsibility. I mean, I think it's in Proverbs where it says to those who are given much, much is expected. I know they used it in the first Spider-Man movie, but they stole it from the Bible, just so you know. Guys, we've got to be above this. We cannot allow the enemy to influence us. We've got to be people of the Word. It's too easy to fall into His traps. And we're going to talk more about this, but I wanted you guys to see this clearly because I promise you is that as you go throughout the week, you're going to have opportunities of, of, of what be, be it uh, offense, you're going to have opportunities of someone just, just bugging you, something's going to happen. You know, I, I was a little bit prepared for this week. It seems like anytime the Lord starts to show me something, Chaos happens, whatever that may be, um, but I was not prepared for this week. I mean, guys, when I woke up Saturday morning, I was so spiritually drained, it was unreal. And I haven't felt like that in a long time. And it was just, just a lot of chaos that was going on. And I just woke up and I said, I'm not, I'm not going to allow it. I'm just not going to allow it. I don't care what happens. I don't care what was said. I don't care what's been going on. I'm not going to allow it. And I came in this morning early, as I usually do on Sunday mornings. I spent some time in prayer. I said, Lord, today's your day. 
and we're going to worship you. I don't care what happens after this, but we're going to worship you and we're going to do your work. Guys, we've got to rise above the craziness of life and not give the enemy a foothold. It's time to be the sons of the Father.